Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 17th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, and I am Aquiba Reese, tonight's co-anchor with the one and only Clarence Boone. For Black women, the intersection of race and gender bias has had a combined effect of the of us entering and successful in the labor market, you know, so our work is often devalued and sometimes these opportunities are limited. And so we're going to get into we're going to talk about this. Um, we're going to talk about these issues this evening. Ariel Chase, uh, who's a columnist with the spectrum, noted that often the world tells black women that they are not beautiful or desirable enough for the broader white society and its standards, and that it is too easy to fall into the trap of not appreciating your own beauty. So self-love is an essential component to success. Yeah, Clarence, and there's another individual that we've looked at is uh, Rolanda Booker. She once wrote in her article entitled, Struggle of the Black Women, quote, that I work in an inner school system and I see every day the lost innocent of young black girls, they are believing what they hear from society, you know, so like social media, any type of platform. So they're hearing what they see on society, what type of future will they have? I wanna give uh, young black girls in today's society a new avenue to explore. If they learn about other black women, who have made it, hopefully they will believe they can achieve as well. And that's excellent from Rolanda Booker. And while it is true that our past can shape us, it does not have life experiences can be traumatic, but they can be overcome and serve as positive, uh, helpful tools for our life. As Jesse Jackson would often say in his days of civil rights advocacy, I am somebody. And then the late Maya Angelou penned in 1978, out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. Yeah, I mean, I always take a moment to pause whenever I hear the late great Maya Angelou. She deserves all the space, right? So people are fascinated by human persistence and our achievements, right? And so against all those different types of odds, it turns books into bestsellers, movies into blockbusters and common people into exemplary. Uh, and so such is the story of this evening's guest. We're so excited to talk about it, introduce. So we're introducing Nordia McNish and Tayakwa Davis. So we're so excited to talk to these young ladies, move it, movers and shakers in the Bloomington community. Uh, so let's just get into it. Ladies, welcome to Bring It, in, bring it On. Thank you. Thank you. 
That's right. Bring it in and, and bring it on. That's going to be our new tagline. <laughs> I love it. I, mean, I, I just come up with stuff sometimes, you know, you just got to make it happen. <laughs> okay. And we'll write that check to you, so don't worry, okay? <laughs> I'll, I'll send my address. Okay. Um, and if and if you ladies, um, first of all, thank you for carving the time out, and we know that you both are busy, um, and you both are phenomenal, uh, Nordia and Teakla. I've, I've had extended conversations actually with both of you, so I'm familiar with elements of your, of your story. And all of us have a story. And as we talked about on the front end, things happen in our lives that shape us, mold us, make us, but never should break us. Um, so with that, I, I like for you both to, in your own words, introduce yourselves. I, I, could, have a, I could have written a lengthy introduction, and I've done that for people. But I said, no, I want them to introduce themselves. And so, Nordia, we'll start with you today. Well, hi. Um, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Nordia McNish. I'm a Jamaican, meaning I was born and raised there. <laughs> um, I came to America many, many years ago, probably over 20 years ago. Lived in New York most of the time, but transitioned into Indiana about six years ago. Upon getting to Indiana, um, I was fortunate enough to get into Indiana University to get my bachelor's and went straight on to get my master's. And with that, during that time, I was always involved in community, giving back, you know, recidivism in that way, supporting community organizations, being a part of community organizations. And upon my graduation, uh, I started working at uh, Meadows Hospital, then transitioned into a new job as a therapist at Indiana Center for Recovery. I'm also a single mom with one child who's currently 17 um, that graduated early from North High School. I'm super proud of him and, you know, getting to that crossing over that one path and on to the next. Okay. And uh, Teakwe, if you would introduce yourself. Yes, hi. Again, I am Tayaqua Davis. I am from Chicago, but I consider Bloomington, Indiana as my home because this is where my life began. Um, as I said, I'm from the south side of Chicago. Um, was, uh, uh, had, had some pretty up um, upbringing. Uh, as I was sharing with Clarence, you know, wasn't, you know, pretty, you know, as a young, uh, young adolescent, um, a single dropout, high school dropout, um, joined a gang at a certain part of my life, uh, had nothing, no education and things of that nature. But when I moved to Bloomington, that's where my life began. Um, the, the adult education program here in Bloomington, I was able to receive my GED. From there, I went to IU where I received an associate, a bachelor's. From there, I said, I can continue to go on, don't stop here. And I climbed and maintained and I went for my master's. And now I have completed 162 credit hours for my PhD. I am currently, I'm currently as, I, um, as I'm speaking to you now, I'm writing my dissertation planning one. And my graduation is this July 2020, 
Excellent, excellent. And um, you share, you both share some things that I, I kind of want to come back and revisit. And we talked beforehand about uh, comfort level and uh, what you feel is, a, is pertinent to share uh, on the radio. And as I said before, we all have lived uh, at times challenging, you know, gone through challenging experiences. So, but we should be able to draw from that and uh, allow those things to help us as we move forward, upward and onward. Uh, Nadia, I want to come back uh, to you. You mentioned coming from Jamaica and uh, coming to America. Can you describe the decision, why the decision to then come to America, what that meant to you, and what you were looking for uh, over in America as opposed to carving a life out in Jamaica? Uh, well, um... Most Jamaicans uh, have the impression of, of America being, you know, the land of the free, the land that is bountiful, the land that opportunity, the land of, you know, transition into better, you know, in life. And um, a lot of that was sold by what we had access to on TV based off your income level in Jamaica. So um, my um, view of America was something better in terms of where I was coming from, um, the decision to come to America, I felt wasn't solely mine. Uh, my mother had a, play, a role to play with that along with others. So I didn't really feel like it was a decision that was um, thought of in depth by me based off my maturity level at the time when I came. But I got here and kind of had to learn how to survive while being here. Um, after realizing that it's not, it's not what I thought it would have been, you know, the land of the free, you know, the land of opportunity, the land of everyone has the opportunity to transition into who they want to be and all that stuff. So um, coming from Jamaica to here, it was definitely a shock, meaning what I, what I thought I would see was not what I saw, what I thought I would experience was not what I experienced. And I kind of had to accept where I was and still try to move on or forward and not stay still. Okay. I think you bring okay. up, I think you bring up such a good point about what does it mean to transition um, as it relates to, you know, coming from Jamaica, like an international perspective, because we know that black is a diaspora, right? So it's a lot of us in <laughs> multifaceted, uh, in multi areas uh, throughout the throughout the world. So I heard you say that it wasn't what I thought it was. Can you help us and all of the listeners uh, uh, understand what does that mean to you that you didn't it didn't connect to what you thought it was? What what does that look like for you? Well, what I uh, my experience in Jamaica in terms of connection with America also started with. Um, um, church folks from America coming down to Jamaica, you know, and giving time and food 
and candy and stuff. So it's, it, it, that was a kind of perception that was painted as that helped with the painting as to what Jamaica, what America is. You know, people are helpful, people are supportive, people are, you know, want, want you to be better, do better. But when I came to America, I saw that it was, you know, it was me who have to push myself to do anything. And even when I pushed myself, there were so many barriers and challenges that I didn't think should be there, but they existed. And that went along with my different identities that I hold both as a Jamaican, a black woman, you know, and um, not having family here. So I kind of had to learn the culture of my blackness in America, separate from the culture of my blackness in Jamaica, because my blackness was not itemized as it is, as it is here. So that was one of the things that, um, that I had to like realize for myself that I am not in this country. I, I do not walk like everyone. I'm not invited in the same spaces as everyone. I'm not welcomed um, by everyone. So it's kind of like, I had to learn that on throughout my journey in America. Did the, did the, uh, the missionaries, the church missionaries, offer some guidance or um, help you adjust once you arrive in America? Or was it just the fact that they came and filled a void, showed kindness, showed, gave hope, hope, I would assume, um, talked about this land of opportunity, whatever, painted a picture that sort of at least got you thinking about coming to America. But once you arrived, were they there for you to help you? Or did you feel as if I just got dropped off and here I am? No, because they weren't really associated in any way with me coming. It's just that they gave a perception while when they visited our country as to who they are. Uh, um, they were all white people. And, you know, we I was from a small country area that was um, that is was and still is poor. So, you know, the texture of the hair is fascinated. The taste of candy is fascinating. And, you know, little things um, we found fascinating because we didn't have access to those things at all, much less, um, you know, somebody of that complexion coming down and giving us access to all these things, even simple things as crayons and pencils, coloring books, you know, stuff like that. So the simplicity of what they brought and the, the way how we saw that and saw them as, you know, these people who are loving and caring but it wasn't like conversation was um, to be had about, you know, when you come to America or if you come to America, there was no invitation for there from them. It was just so that they came with a purpose and it was to deliver food to the poor and spend their time as they planned um, to get whatever they needed while visiting us. Okay, thank you, thank you. And, um... With that, we'll go ahead and Laquiva, um, unless you have a follow-up question, we can go ahead and shift gears uh, with Te Aqua. So, um, but, but let me comment first about uh, some of the things that I heard from Nordia. Um, here you are in Jamaica and you have foreigners come. You, you pointed some things out that, that were interesting. You, you saw them as, wow, you know, white people that are coming, being kind, giving us things. And then you pointed out the texture of hair where normally a lot of people come, a lot of sisters, black women come in here in America. 
that it's not uncommon for someone to come by and touch your hair and comment on braids or, oh, I love your hair and make all these comments and sort of lead you along to think, wow, you know, as, as if you've never seen someone braided hair or maybe stylish hair, you know, and, and then you feel, correct me if I'm wrong, like you're the answer person for, for all women black in America. Um, but, but that was an interesting observation uh, that you shared. And now I think we're ready to, to kind of segue over to Teaqua. And Teaqua, if you, in your, own, in your own words, share with us your story to date. Um, in your introduction, you sort of hinted towards some things, but you know, share with us your story as you feel comfortable to share. Wow. Thank you guys for, again for having me. It, this is my first time like really, really speaking. So I'm not a pro, so please bear with me. Um, and I'm, I'm loving what Nadia um, shared thus far because it just had me thinking, you know, with my transition. And although I was here in America, I still struggled. And my struggle was just to become um, who I am today. And I had the tools, you know, I had the tools. I had the organization. Um, I had a com I had a community of um, I just you know have to be honest of Caucasian people there to help me to be who I am today. So um, with me, you know, saying that those were the people who encouraged me and instilled in me that I can be who I am, just you know gave me the idea to don't stop, you know you know, don't stop here in the ghetto mentality because that's all I knew. And this, the same people, like the human services organization, social workers, the system, you know, they, I have to honestly say, they made me who I am today. And um, because of that, and also, also been labeled as a critical at risk, individual because of the environment I was um, exposed to. Um, I, I'm able to give back to the, our young black women, our young black men, encouraging them and empowering them that you can be whatever you set your mind um, to, whatever you want to be, whatever you dream of, you can be it, you can do it, don't limit yourself and my society, my environment limited me, my people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I have a question off of that because it's really interesting that you share about your experience with white, with white people um, because it's not, we, we, in the culture that we survive in, I don't think that there's this us versus them when it can become a we. Um, oftentimes systems are what's challenged, right? So um, my, I guess my question is, when did you know that you, when did you know that you could, you could move uh, from your environment? Um, when did you know that you could move from your environment? And when did you know that you had access to tools to complete your GED? When did, when did that click for you? That's amazing. I love that question. Uh, <laughs> so as I mentioned before, I could remember my seventh grade teacher 
who was an African-American. He was a black guy, African-American. And because of my environment, because of being in the system, because of living in the ghetto, uh, being exposed to the drug life, he told me, he said, you will never be nothing. He embarrassed me in front of a group of students. And he told me I was gonna either be in jail, on the streets as a prostitute. This is what Mr. Lewis said to me. And I can remember just as if it happened yesterday. But then Mr. Darlene came along. He was my um, Caucasian teacher. And although he knew what I was going through as a child, he invested in me. I struggled with reading. Uh, I wasn't a smart student. You know, I, I was always told because I wasn't smart, you, you're not going to make it. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. But Mr. Darlene, he looked beyond what the teachers were saying. He looked beyond my current situation and he spent time with me. He, he began to read to me. He began to break down um, just the curriculum so I could understand at my level, not at the higher achiever, achievers level, but at my level. That moment, I began to see that it's possible. And then my whole trajectory of thinking began to change. And I can remember seeing like it's a special time of the year doing graduation and how these students would come on the TV. It reminds you, I'm a, I'm a single um, adolescent, um, later on became, you know, a, a single mom, you know, I was in the dropout, didn't, didn't have any education, but I would see these people come on the television and their life will um, look so prestigious and education, I can remember crying. I wish that was me. How can that be me? And at that time, it was me and my son, and we lived in an abandoned building. And um, just hope, just life um, was starting to just, you know, I was giving up. I was giving up. But it's just something that was down inside me that Mr. Darlene and and Miss Irene, when I moved here, who, oh, bless her heart, she's the, um, she was the education adult teacher here. And I could remember her and Mr. Darlene just encouraging me and telling me, Tayaqua, you can do it. I didn't know how to read. I didn't know how to put a sentence together. They didn't laugh at me. They didn't talk about me. They showed me. And just through their continuity uh, of caring, I began to develop an idea, a mindset, this is what I wanna do. I wanna give back to that community. And in the community that I'm working in, it is um, a plethora of African-American children who are suffering, who can't read like I could read. And so my passion is to just give back. Okay, well, thank you for that. And we'll, we'll explore that a little bit further. But the voice you just heard was Tayakwa Davis. Uh, and she is sharing her life story to date because as we said earlier, we are all works in progress. And joining her tonight is Nordia McMish. 
uh, who likewise uh, shared her story. Uh, she um, transitioned over to America from Jamaica and she began to share her story to date as far as some of the obstacles that she confronted and overcame and where she is today. My, my co-anchor for this evening is the one and only, as she shared with me, Laquiba Reese. <laughs> and uh, she and I go way back and she, she will ask the probing, the probing questions. So I think she has a burning one right now. So if you just joined us, I'm bringing on. Uh, we're having a, a very delightful, but yet informative conversation with two phenomenal women of color. So I'm going to turn this back over to McQueen at this time. Yes, I'm so happy again to, to be here. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to increase your check, okay? <laughs> you know, I, was, I was hoping, you know, I was really open. Um, I'm real excited about that. Uh, let me know if you need my address. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I have a question. Of course, I want to flip it just a little bit because we're talking about our experiences, which are phenomenal, right? And so... I'm curious about like, what do you, when you wake up in the morning, you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you, if you say mantras or if you say anything to yourself, what do you, how do you get yourself motivated to, um, I was, my brother likes to say, go win the day, Mukweba. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go win the day. So do you have anything in your toolbox that you wake up and prepare yourself to win the day? And would you care to share it with, um, with the audience, whoever wants to start? My children and my scholars, I call them my scholars. All they, the, they are labeled as critical at-risk students. They're still my scholars. And when I look at how advanced that that group, um, they have come so far in just the 90 days I have been with them. It gives me that mindset and that I have to, I have to keep going, even though I'm tired in my body, still working, writing my book, my, you know, writing my dissertation. I think about my students and how, when they see me, they, they face just light up and Miss T, Miss T. And that's, that's my to go to that. I have to get up and I have to go help that community. I have to go help them. So, Yes. Thank you. Nordia, what you thinking? Well, I'm, I'm thinking that um, that is a tough question because of who I am. Um, I am driven internally to some extent, but, you know, I'm driven to function at some, you know, I have bills to pay. I have to go to work. <laughs> Um, you know, I have responsibilities. I have to get, um, you know, that, that there's no going around. So, you know, knowing that I have things to focus on doing is really pulls me more than the internal, like, push. Um, you know, mental health is such a big part of the Black community in terms of being able to navigate society as a Black person and still be okay in your mind. And sometimes you just have to focus on what you need to get done for the day in order to sleep and look for another day. So my, my focus is always, you know, what needs to be done for today, but at the same time, looking into why I'm here to say, you know, what kind of positive change can I impact today 
where I am? And how can I still stay true to myself? I think that's really good. And I know I'll pass it over to, you know, the one and only, but I, I think that's really good to highlight and, and talk about mental health. I know that there was a, um, a young woman of uh, 30 years old, she committed suicide. Um, uh, and if you, you know, if you need any resources, I'm sure we can put some here for the production, but um, as, as, as we know, there's a lot within our community, perhaps that trauma may have affected and it's important for us to dial into our mental health. And I know that that's a topic for Black History Month this uh, month, shout out to Shatoya. Moss doing her thing as the director of community, uh, director of Safe and Civil City, excuse me. And I know this Black History Month is surrounded by mental health. So I'm just curious about your angle as it relates to a ther as a therapist, uh, Nordia, and then Iaqua, you can feel free to share your story as it relates to trauma. But in the mental health world, how do you navigate having those conversations with people, specifically if some of your clients are Black, how do you navigate having those conversations with clients um, or, uh, at this moment? If you do have any that you see, Nordia, what would you say to our community as it relates to um, mental health? Well, when it comes to mental health, I think it's very um, individual focused because, you know, trauma impacts everyone in different ways, no matter if it's just the Black community or others, you know, as a Black, uh, being a part of the Black population does not mean that we experience trauma in the same way. So in my position as a therapist, it's all about the individual and focusing on, you know, where they're at in the moment, but at, as well as focusing at what kind of things that might be surrounding where they're at that was from the past or that could include trauma and making sure that that's not a deterrent to where they're going and where they want to go in terms of treatment. So I'm currently working in a addiction uh, a recovery facility, and there is a, a few black, um, you know, clientels that comes through there as well. So the majority of the time, because it's mostly a white space, it's all about you know advocating for um, you know my clients if they were to hold that identity of black and happen to be my client you know, validating them as well as advocating for them in terms of, you know, not making, making sure there's no stigmatization associated with how they're treated, making sure the environment is not detrimental to their mental health because they came there for care and making sure that everyone is understanding of where I stand in terms of my identity and being, trying to be a safe space for uh, my uh, other black sisters and brothers and I create the safe space in my office for everyone, black and white or anyone of any other color that wants to come through. But when it comes to black individual, it's a different kind of approach because it's focusing on identifying where you're at as well as your identity, as well as why you're here and how to navigate that situation it can be like, I have to um, make sure the reality check is there you know, your blackness is real, your blackness holds differently here in this space. And not everybody might understand the things that impact you and the things that might affect you negatively, though it's meant to be a positive space. 
So I give them the space to be able to, you know, talk through that and at the same time advocate for things when um, it's not just one client, but I'm navigating with other clinicians and with the whole system and with the whole facility in terms of how are we being a part of change in a positive way and not in a negative way when it comes to individuals of different color creed. Yeah. Uh, Maquiba, if you could restate your question for Teakwa. Yes, I can. And I looked up, uh, uh, her name is Chelsea Christ, um, and she was the 2019 USA uh, Miss America, so may she rest in peace. But the question basically is about mental health and like how, and to tailor it towards um, like an individual, because I'm not sure if you're, if you work with clients, yeah, was that correct? You don't work with clients, right? No, I do not work with clients um, per se, but I, as a Black family, you know, Black community, mm -hmm. we deal with mental illness. And back in the day, it was such a taboo and we didn't want to discuss it. But now that since we see what's going on with our young Black men and our uh, the, our women, I'm, I'm glad that we're able to talk and um um, create these avenues of intervention and prevention, these strategies um, to present, you know, to our community. You know, as um, Nordia said, whether it's black or white, green or purple, we all deal with mental illness um, mm -hmm. in various stages. So. Right. And um, I know Regina King's, her, her son just recently um, uh, committed as well. So that's a double... You know, you have a mother who experienced it, experienced, both mothers have experienced their child, you know, um, dying by suicide. And so I guess my question to you, kind of tailoring it for you specifically with uh, the involvement that you do, how has mental health perhaps um, not affected, but how have you like navigated the, um, how have you navigated the space of like, you know, checking in with yourself, you know, checking in with yourself, um, moving from Chicago to Bloomington to hearing and navigating these different people telling you, yes, you can and no, you can't. Like, how have you like navigated that? For me personally, I have a great group of um, individuals and my, my family, my circle, you know, friends, and they have been the support, and I don't want to put them on blast, they know who they are. They have been the support that I needed. And because of their love and showing me how to um, reciprocate, how to give, I learned through them. And because I was able to see genuinely their authentic way of loving people, I'm able to show that love to others. And mentally that helped me, you know, that you can love, you can be loved. And so, yes. I want to jump in and ask a question about, um, you know, we talk about these, these two individuals who are on a national level, uh, unfortunately uh, made a sort of a permanent decision uh, with extreme ramifications and repercussions. But let me ask, let me, let me, let me as McQueen might say, flip that question a little bit. Uh, who on the national level is your role model? Um, back when the Obamas were in 
the president, I mean, when they were in the presidency, but when they were in the White House, um, I think Michelle Obama's ratings were higher than her husband's mm-hmm. for, for a whole most of reasons. <laughs> but uh, I look at, you know, for me personally, I look at both uh, Barack and Michelle or former President Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama. Now I look at uh, Kamala Harris and I know she's still defining herself and her role. And then I just recently hear that uh, President Biden had made this pledge on the campaign trail to name a woman of color to the Supreme Court. So, you know, opportunities are looking rather good for, for Black women. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe that's a stretch. But share with me on a national level who, who are some of your role models. And Nordia, if you'd like to start off with that. Role models. <laughs> um, I think for me, a lot of things is unique in different ways, meaning I can appreciate and I can um, appreciate the way people are and what they have accomplished. I can ap- appreciate their own experience, but I don't think there's any person really that I emulate to be or see as this person that is a role model. Mm-hmm. I feel like my own drive to do things is kind of what I've been focusing on because I don't want to be distracted by focusing on what others have, but what I can attain and how can I see examples in folks as to what is possible. You know, thinking of um, Michelle Obama and what she's experienced in her role when she was um, the, the, was there in the White House and the experiences that she had, which was mostly centered on, you know, superficial things that people focused on, you know, her, um, her body type, her um, attitude, her, you know, I could see where I could say Michelle Obama because she, she showed strength in spite of society trying to break her down a little bit and because of the position that she was in and the expectation that society have and she wasn't bending to the expectation of society but staying true to herself and still being um you know showing herself to be a strong black woman so i can appreciate her and her display of that womanhood in her position but um if i was to say someone you know a role model per se, uh, I can say I can't identify one person, but I know that there are beautiful black people who are out there who have impacted me so much, you know, Toni Morrison, you know, Angela, and, you know, so I'm, I would say I have a lot of people that I um, appreciate the work that they've done, the um, critical thinking that they offer to me based off of what the work that they have done to help me to more focus on analyzing the world and my place in it. Okay, uh, Aqua. Thank you, Clarence, that, that's good. <laughs> that's good information. And although those are beautiful people, but I would like to extend um, my, who my role models were and who they are here locally mm-hmm. in the community. You know, I can see Michelle Obama and I can see Tony Harris, uh, 
uh, Toni Morrison, I'm sorry, Oprah Winfrey, great. They're great. Television-wise, they're great. But who I can say, <laughs> who I looked up to, and I said, well, I want to be like that person. And I'm slowly but surely I'm getting there. It's Clarence Boone. I've been knowing him for years. And I just she love the I love the leadership that I've seen him carry throughout the years. I want to touch someone that I can see, you know, that I can actually say, okay, I can follow his his role, his his feet, you know, his shoe, um, follow his steps, because I see visually his leadership guidance. Well, I, I I'm, I'm at a loss for words. One, the check is in the mail. Thank and, you. Uh, <laughs> because it's it's true. It's well, true. I, I'm I'm humbled and I'm flattered. Um, I'll put it this way: you have demonstrated to so many people when you talk about the word perseverance. Um, Usually people use it in a sports metaphor, sort of, uh, sort of defining perseverance as a team that comes back from behind, whatever, whatever. That's only part of it. Uh, when someone is, is literally uh, sucker punched or, or knocked to their knees or just down and out for the eight count, that mandatory eight count, whatever in life, and life will present that yeah. to you. We've all been there. If you haven't experienced it, keep living. But uh, if you have the tenacity, perseverance, and uh, you know the, the stick to itness to get up and keep going, that's wonderful. And you have always exhibited that for me, and uh, that's a whole another show. Now I know that um, my wife has a, a special place in your heart mm-hmm. because you two have lengthy conversations about COVID yes. and whatever. <laughs> So, and again, as I say, that, that, that's uh, another, another broadcast. But one thing, um, I remember one day you showed me a picture of someone who you met as a little girl. And it was all crinkled and all just folded and bent <laughs> up at you, held on. And you probably still have it somewhere. I do. I do. Well, what, and, and it kind of blew me away. It's like, wait a minute, is that so-and-so? You said, yeah. And you explained the situation. Yeah. And you explain what he challenged you to do. Mm-hmm. So if you could share that with our listeners, I'd appreciate it. The picture with Michael Jordan, correct? Yes. Yes. So um, as I was sharing with Clarence, uh, I think I was like four, 15 years old. And they he was not like really prominent like he is now. Uh, I think he was just starting out, if I could remember. But, you know, the Bulls. Um, they gave to the uh, the community. Um, they gave to the the uh, the children who were being abused, the children who were in the system, children who life had you know um, society have given up on them. But that team, um, Michael Jordan and uh, Scottie Pippen, oh, it was it was a plethora of them. It was so many of them. They gave like a party for the children who were in the court system. And I was part of that, um, that group, that population. And the lady at the time, she was a, um, I, I don't, I wanna say she was a human service um, uh, worker and she would come out and get us every week just to show us life, that there is life outside of, South side of Chicago. 
and there, you know, you can be and do whatever you want to do and be. And so she surprised us. She said, well, I'm going to take you guys somewhere that, you know, they had already planned it, it, had this party planned for us and things of that nature. And I tell you, she took us to, um, it was, uh, it was a far place. It was there. Um, I can't think right now. It was that, that where they had practiced that and things of that nature. And, um, we walked in, we seen Michael Jordan, it was Scottie Pippen. Oh, it was like, oh, I can't even name all of them, but it was so many of them. And they talked to us. <laughs> and they, at that time, they were telling us who we were. They were telling us who we were. And um, he said some things to me I cannot remember, but I tell you, I almost forgot. Thank you, Clarence, for bringing it up. But he was encouraging. He was encouraging. And um, he um, was always, he told us it was the party that you can do it. You can be whatever you want to be. You know, this before life hit. This is before I really actually, you know, experienced life. He instilled this into me and my sister. And we didn't know that what was going to happen after we, you know, left that auditorium, but they gave us a party. They had over, I want to say millions of cheeseburgers from McDonald's <laughs> and we took pictures. And that was the first day that was, that was actually the first time someone really, really spoke um, empowering words into my life. Someone who you, you looked up to and respected and who may not have been at the very top of this game because uh, coming from North Carolina, he, he still had to sort of prove himself in the NBA. But of course, that's all history now. But when you showed me that, my jaw dropped and I thought, wow, you know, and, and he had said something. He, I guess he had challenged you to stay the course and, the, and to do this and the other. But um, not that that makes him a role model, but it makes him a, a human being who cared mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. speak life and and the souls and in the hearts of other others who are coming yes. along behind them so yes um, mm -hmm. yeah okay so, so I'm sorry McQueen you had a follow-up yeah I had a quick question I'm just curious I'm, I'm so excited for y'all's story and so I wanted to pause for a second because I remember you mentioning Tayakwa about a gentleman a black male who spoke negatively in your life but then you have Clarence who spoke positively in your life. And so that really talks about Black people, we're not monolithic. Our experiences are different. Mm. And I think that that really helped me to realize not only, it, and I know this already, but even you sharing this, it basically, it was like a, a positive and a negative experience from perhaps our community, but that doesn't mean that that's all of who we are. Right? That's right, yeah. more of us, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So. That's what I would hope that the audience really takes away as well is like black people were not monolithic. We all don't think the same. We don't vote the same. We don't do all the things the same. We're not monolithic. And another thing, Clarence, you mentioned, um, and I know, you know, I get a little nitpicky a little bit, but you said, um, you know, I think you said something about, you know, uh, black women are, you know, becoming more something. I think you said are becoming more prominent and I'm just like, we've been here. The world is just now catching up, honey. It's like, come on. You know what I'm well, saying? Because it's Supreme Court justice. If, uh, well, Your Honor, Your Honor, if, if, if I could, if I could uh, restate my statement. Um, yes, we Black know, women are becoming... You no, you, well, wait, 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 wait. More nationally, nationally prominent. 
You've always been there. You've been the backbone of so many institutions within the Black community. From the very first day we were born, you were what we looked up to, okay? And then from there, when when we came in with snotty little noses from outside on the playground, you dried our nose and said, get back out there. And we came home with bloody little noses, Mm -hmm. being in fights. (laughs) You said, now you go on back out there. Um, When we weren't doing our homework and the notes came home, you all were there to warm up that that rear hind portion that we don't talk about because for some reason kids learn how to dial certain numbers and get parents in trouble. But look, we didn't have that number when I was coming along. So you've always been the heroes in my life. That's right. Um, yeah. Now, now every black woman has not been a hero, exactly. nor has every black man been a hero in our community. That's correct. But nevertheless. Um, I'm not sure which presidential wife came up with this, or maybe it wasn't a presidential wife, but someone said it takes a village. Was that Hillary Clinton that said that? Did she come up with that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child? I thought it was an African proverb. Okay, it probably was, but she heard her her speechwriter grab it. So we'll get, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just had to read that. I'm sorry, Clarence. And it was a president. And mm-hmm. I cannot tell you who it was, but we was just reading it in our studies like last year. I, I just forgot. I want to ag- agree with you. I, I do believe it was Hillary. It was one of her. I, I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Or maybe maybe Bill or Hillary. But mm-hmm. I also remember reading that in a book about African proverbs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and I will grab a book that was written by one of our former guests, uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Charlie Nelms. And it was in one of his books that he had compiled uh, different sayings, different proverb sayings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, well, I'm flattered again. Thank you for that. But um, I want to I get to Nordia. I have a question in sort of the remaining time that we have. We have, we have about five minutes, six minutes left. Nordia, McNish, what makes you so tough? Life. Oh, that was, that was whoa. That was pretty good. What makes you so tough and explain for us, please? Well, you know, um, as black, as a black woman from a different country coming into this country and as um, becoming a part of the black community in America, I kind of had to learn really fast what my place is and how am I going to transition myself into being anything at all. And that was through life experiences, you know, you never want to experience trauma, you never want to experience strife, and you never want to experience, you know, um, being treated a certain way by people. But once something happens, and then you still have to rise from whatever it is. So, you know, a lot of things have happened to me in my life. You know, I was homeless at one point, you know, I have a single parent, you know, um, I came to this country without family and had to learn to navigate it with a different mindset and then come to realize that I needed a different mindset in order to navigate it. You know, so life taught me how to be resilient in this life, in this, um, my, in any current situation that I'm in, you know, I think that came from my mother too. She was a very tough woman and, you know, she said, never give up and run to the church, you know? So <laughs> she said, run to the church. If there's no one to help you run to the church. So um, 
when I needed, I ran to the church. Didn't get the help that I needed when I ran to church. A lot of the times, because this is still in America, so church is not really church for all Black folks in terms of going, you know, going to this space and then it's safe. You know, so the things that I'm running from could still be in church, depending on which church it is. So I had to learn to survive and how to maintain enough mental capacity to keep moving forward, you know, to not be defrayed or derailed or, you know, put down because my family has um, a history of mental illness and I was always fighting against that. You know, I wasn't accepting what I don't think should be. You know, I wasn't accepting of situation that I feel like that's not how it is. And I wasn't accepted as to where I was being placed by others or shuffled, you know, so that kind of helped me to build my resilience to keep moving with my own mindset. Okay, thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you for that uh, uh, very candid response. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, Teakwa, girl, what makes you so tough? What makes, what makes you so tough? <laughs> Because they told me I couldn't do it. <laughs> because they told you you couldn't do it. Okay. They said I couldn't do it. Okay. They said I could not do it. They said you never speak. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I went to a gathering with the, my teacher friends, and I'm not. I can't say her name, but the one she didn't know I heard. I overheard her. She said, "Yeah, because I seen her, and I said she ain't gonna make it. I wasn't gonna make it as a teacher." Said, okay, I'm gonna show her. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been making it ever since. <laughs> all right, all right. We have a few minutes left. And as I said on the front end, I said time is gonna fly during this conversation. And sure enough, uh, never fails. There's, there's never really enough time. I wanna get one last question in that I think is gonna be very impactful. The, the answers we hear from you. We've talked a lot today. Didn't cover all situations, and that's gonna take multiple conversations, which we'd like to maybe invite you back for. But as we end out, what do you want other children, ladies and women of color to know that we have not touched on? Now, children, of course, adolescents up to young adults, and then those young adults in their um, developmental stages of life, and women middle-aged up to women who are uh, beyond middle age. What do you want them to know that we've not touched on? And so, Nordia, um, from the healthcare professional perspective and your own personal perspective, we'll, we'll leave with you. Um, well, for Black um, girls, I would like to say, you know, you can. And, you know, there's going to be people who tell you you can't. And there's going to be people who try to stop you because you're trying. But, you know, just knowing that you can and believing in yourself is very important. That goes for adults, too. You know, your situation does not define you. Your situation is just a place for you to be in that moment and survive to move to the next space where you can thrive. You know, so where are you and what are you doing and how are you making use of the environment so that it all encapsulates you as a person of color, but it transitioned you to who you want to be. All right, and Teyakwa, same question as we have about well, 60 seconds left. When life brings you lemon, you put all kind of sweeteners in there. <laughs> <laughs> 
You put your own taste. You continue to climb. You maintain. You push and don't give up. You have to push. You have to push and don't give up. Right. I thank you. That was short and sweet. I, you surprised me because I thought you were gonna wind up for a while on that one. But th thank you, thank you, and I will remember that. Both of you. Uh, we want to thank the, the following two women for joining us: Nordia McNish and Tiaqua Davis, two resilient women of color who endured, persevered, and are overcoming obstacles on their way to achieving success. Uh, Bring it on! It has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let us hear it, okay? Submit those ideas. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org, O-R-G. Once again, that's bringiton at wfhb.org, O-R-G. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address once again, and once again, once again, is bring it on at wfhb.org. Submit those submissions. I don't think I've heard it pronounced so eloquently, and we may have to take that and use that in our, in our intro and outro. Also, if you have an event, or, I'm here for you. Thank you, thank you. Also, if you have an event or happening the African American community should know about, please send the information directly to us at our Bring It On staff, of course. Uh, bring It On at wfhb.org. Thank you so much for having me. Um, appreciate it. Good conversation. It was nice. Well, thank to you, Aqua. <laughs> well, yes, thank well. you, ladies. Thank you. And bringing on this executive producer is yours truly, Clarence Boone, and our assistant producer is William Hosea. Show consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Kate Young, program engineer Chantal LaFontaine. Original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. I am McQueen Reese. And be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bringing On right here on your community radio station, WF. H.B. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.